Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels. I'm excited about this podcast because I get to reconnect with my good buddy, Doug Emblidge. We're going to get to him in just a second. I just have to read an ad because, Doug, we got to pay some bills. You know, we got to we got to make a little bit of money. So I, I want to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, which is Make Your Mark Home Renovation. This takes home renovating to a whole new level. It's my good buddy, Mark Schneider. He's been in the business for so many years, and he does everything from kitchen cabinets to uh, floors to bathroom remodels. I'm telling you, if you have Mark come into your house, your house will look like you won the Mega Millions. That's what it'll look like. It'll look like you won you won the the uh, the biggest jackpot we've ever had. Which, by the way, I think it's approaching that again. So uh, listen, check out Make Your Mark Home Renovation at five eight five six one three. Six five nine eight. All right, Dougie, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. Good wheels. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I can't wait to talk to you because uh, you've you've uh, had a big life change happen to you lately. I, yeah, I did, huh? Um, I did. I happened to it as much as it happened to me, but that's a good thing, you know. I I uh, I left Channel Thirteen on the 29th of November after. Uh, 39 years and uh really if you count up all my years in broadcasting it was closer to 45 and i it's what i had wanted to do since i was 12 and i got to do it and i did it for a long time and i loved it and i love the people i work with still do um but i wanted to do i i guess i got a, a hankering to try something new and try something maybe a little scary and a little more challenging now and uh so that's what i'm doing now so something totally different well, that was going to be my my next question to you. Was it almost like the uh, because you had been in broadcasting for so long, like you just said, when you started the new job, was it almost like the first day of school? It, it really was in a lot of ways. I mean, um, it, the, I went to a place called Alesco Advisors, which is a financial advisory firm, a registered investment advisor. And, and that may seem like a world away from what I used to do. In some ways, that's true. But in other ways, it's it's uh, it's about relationships it's about um, uh, serving people, uh, and um, and that sounds all kind of trite and cliche, but it's a- absolutely true. And uh, and uh, a great bunch of people there. So was it like the first day of school? It was a little bit because I walked in and I'm in a new place. I, here's a funny story. My first day, first or second day at Alesco, I went past the Victor Thruway exit coming from Canandaigua, which is where I would get off to go to my new job. And the car wanted to go to Henrietta to the freeway huh. exit that I'd gotten off at for so long. So, um, you know, that's it just took, you know, like everything else in life, that's a change. There's an adjustment. But um, there's 29 people at our firm and I've met every one of them. And I can honestly say they all walk the walk and talk the talk of what this place is about. And I'm just having a ball. I'm learning you know, kind of drinking from a fire hose in a little bit because uh, I'm learning a lot of new stuff. But on the other hand, uh, it's very supportive and, and they get that, you know, it, it's it's there's an onboarding process and and they're making it easy for me and, and they're making it fun. So very happy to be there. And what kind of stuff are you doing for them? So what is what's your role? Well, like? My title is client advisor. So I had to pass uh, an exam, what they call the Series 65, which I did actually um, months before I, I left 13. I knew this was going to happen. So I actually had to study for something for the first time since college. 
And I'm, I'm trying to decide if I studied more for this exam than I studied in four years at Syracuse. I don't think that's the truth, but but it felt like that at times. Uh, it's certainly different to be studying when you're when you're my age than than when I did it the last time. Um, and so as client advisor, it's a it's a client facing role. But um, as I, I talked about the team there um, and, and, and we deal with a, a whole bunch of different kinds of clients the, the way I got to know Alesco is they they do the uh, investing for some not for profits that I'm involved with. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and that's how I kind of was first introduced to them. And, and I know the, the man who founded it 22 years ago. Um, so, uh, my role is going to be that of a client advisor. Um, but I, you know, when you, if a client comes to Alesco and they come to Alesco through me, they're not hiring me, they're hiring this team of 29 people sure. to, uh, to make the decisions and, and to serve them. And so uh, it's uh, it's a great experience because you're you're not doing it alone. You know? Right. And and like you said, it is something new, although broadcasting was probably something new every day because you're covering different stories. Um, another question I had for you. What was like what was the first day like when you weren't on the, when you weren't on television and maybe you, you got home and and turned on the TV for the first time and you weren't the one delivering the news? Was that a, a strange feeling for you? It was and it wasn't. And I think probably it less so than you might think, in part because I'd known for a year that I was going to be leaving. Uh, Jenny Ryan left uh, six weeks or so before me uh, to take a new uh, position at Canandaigua National. And, and Jenny and I had kind of, I think, mentally and emotionally prepared for this. Uh, the first day after work, you know, they'd done such a nice, nice send off for me on my last day. And we did the same for Jenny a, a month and a half before. Um, so anyway, it wasn't as much of an adjustment as I thought it was going to be um, because I was so prepared for it. I had a lot of time to think about it. I knew it was coming. And I also had something new to go to. You know, if mm. I if I if I truly retired, they used the word retired when they announced it, but it wasn't a retirement. I left the broadcast world on my own terms, which is a good thing. Um, but it wasn't truly a retirement. I was going to something else. I took one day off, and I even had a speaking engagement on that one day off, and then I started at Alesco the the you know a day a day later. So. Um, I, it kept me busy and maybe that was a good thing. I'm still in touch with the people at 13 every once in a while. I, there's a story idea or something that comes into my head and I call in and say, you guys should look into this or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, I love the people there. I, the greatest thing about broadcasting and you know, it too, is the people you get to work with. It's just a, a fun bunch of people. And, uh, and that will always be true. It is so true when you say, uh, the people you work with, right? Because, and you got to recently, before you uh, left for your new venture, got to spend a little time with my good friend, John DiTullio. I on, did. On his show. Uh, yep. what, was, what was that like jumping back into into radio? Not, not in the sense where you're delivering the news, but it was it was a, a day where you got to do the whole show. Yeah, it's just, you know, we, we talked um, probably too much about, you know, me leaving and all that stuff. I'm not sure how many people wanted to hear any more about that, but it was fun to reminisce. It was fun to, to uh, ra radio is, is um, as much fun as you can have legally. I think um, that was always true when I was uh, a kid and wanting to get into radio and television. And my first job uh, other than my high school radio station, my first paying job was at FM 99 in 1978 or so. And, uh, 
and 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 I loved radio then, and it, it's always been, I think, in so many ways, as much fun as as broadcasting can offer. Uh, it's changed over the years, like everything has. Mm. But uh, as a teenager, getting to be on the radio, and I worked at one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe six or seven different radio stations before I came to first Channel Eight and then to Channel Thirteen. Uh, through high school and college. And uh, boy, oh boy, those are great, great days. I always said everybody who does that uh, could write a book just about the people they meet and the experiences mm. they have. And that's certainly true. Yeah. And it is true, right? Because radio is a little different than television in the sense that uh, radio um, in some formats, the format that I am lucky enough to participate in with Brother Wheeze, we get paid to, or we get, we get paid to, give our opinions where in your, in your role, you were, you weren't giving opinions. You were just giving the facts. Hopefully. Yeah. That was the idea. I mean, the lines have been blurred in television news. That's for sure. Where um, some of the major 24 hour news networks are as much talking heads and pundits as they are, um, as they are uh, newscasters in the traditional sense, a lot has changed in that regard. But I think, um, yes, there's a difference between there's a freedom in radio uh, in what you do and what Weez does that perhaps we didn't have on in TV news. We had our moments where we could be ourselves. Right. And I think o- over time you got to be yourself. People knew who you were. Um, but when you're doing the, the tougher news stories, it's, you, you try to play it straight and uh, it's serious stuff. But on the other hand, I think one thing Channel 13 was always had a spirit of of the world's not all gloom and doom, even though the news may seem that way some days. And it, it's right. okay to, to be real, right. To have fun when something is funny and, and to be serious when something's serious, but they're, they're different and they're the same. Um, I think the successful people in broadcasting, whether they're on radio and TV are the people who are who they are mm-hmm. uh, on and off the air. Why is we successful? Because if you talk to Wee's in the store or you talk to Wee's on the radio, you get the same guy. And that's true. It's true of wheels. It's true of tools. It's true of, I hope Doug and Ginny and Don, um, because uh, people sense that the viewers and the listeners are, are pretty smart in general. And, uh, and they, they could detect it if you were something you weren't. It's so interesting. Cause people will say to me all the time, what is, what is Wee's like in the, at the poker table? And I say, it's just like sitting, sitting uh, in, in, or listening to your car radio or your smart speaker while we're sitting at the poker table. There is no difference. And I think that's so true. The authenticity of, of what you're seeing either on your television screen or in through your radio is, uh, you know, I've heard so many people say to me about you because they know that you and I know each other and our love of hockey together. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Sabres and, the time we got to go to the Sabres game, but uh, people know that I know you and they'll, the, what's, what's Doug like? And I'm like, the guy you see on the TV is the guy that I have had dinner with. So it, it is very true. Well, I do want to ask you now that you're not in the, not in that medium anymore. And you touched on it a little bit, but what has, what has the 24 hour uh, news cycle done to local news in a sense, uh, local news has been uh, spared a lot of the change. Um, it's not as different uh, from what it was 
30 years ago as, as perhaps the cable news networks are different from what they used to be. Um, my biggest fear is that, you know, in, in any business, you follow the money to see what's fueling the change, right? right? So there are there are cable news networks that people perceive to be either, say, left or right politically. And my fear is that people gravitate toward the one that most reflects their views, and that's all they watch. Mm. And so it, it's, it's, it doesn't challenge them to think differently, to accept perhaps uh, other points of view, at least hear other points of view, even if they don't think they're correct. Uh, I think it's contributed to the uh, kind of the poison atmosphere we sometimes see in our country now, the division, um, because, you know, what's the end game there? If, if you think your way is the only way and be it on the left or the right, um, if you think your way is the only way, what's the end game there? Where, where are you going? Nothing gets done until we find a way to meet in the middle. Uh, and it doesn't mean giving up everything you believe in. It just means that, you know, different people, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes once in a while and think, where are they coming from? And if something is extreme on one side or the other, and and, and that person shows no willingness to bend, uh, it's very hard to uh, to get anything done and to accomplish anything. At least it's hard to have a civil discussion, right? I mean, we mm. see it all the time now in Washington. So uh, that has happened more, I think, on the cable news outlets and some of the say, internet news operations and things like that. Local news is uh, different in that the companies that own local stations tend to be much bigger than they used to be, much more corporate. Uh, Channel 13 owned by a big corporation now. Well, that was my ninth owner in my 40 years there. I never once thought I work for this big company. I always thought I work for Channel 13. I work for the people with whom I work. I work for the people who watch us. Uh, and I tried not to let whatever company owned us be very good or bad, strong or weak, whatever. Um, and they all had their pluses and minuses. I, I think I, I tried to um, to not get too involved in that. So local news has been a little more left alone, although I, I fear that there is a tendency to try to homogenize it uh, to make Rochester, the stations in Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse and Albany and Cleveland and Minneapolis all kind of look the same. We've seen it in radio. I mean, big companies own radio now, right? Yes. They, they own radio stations. And and you can drive from one city to the next to the next and say, oh, I'm hearing that jingle or I'm hearing that same person, you know, in a different market. And and it all comes down to the money, right? It, it, there are fewer wheezes uh, and pick anybody else in Rochester who's truly local and institutional. Uh, there's fewer of them and more people who are kind of just doing it from market to market to market. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. I understand why they're doing it for business reasons. But I think in the long run, they probably are hurting the product and maybe hurting their own bottom line by uh, by not trying to go local. And keep yeah. It local. And very, very uh, solid. point. it's interesting because the last time I had you on the podcast, we had talked about how when well you were doing news, you tried to, you you know you didn't want to give out your opinions very often because yeah and and I think you had even said to me you had taken it a step further and registered as an independent because you didn't want people to know what side you came down on maybe because you wanted to deliver the news fair and balanced. Uh, is there any sense now that you're not in the news? that maybe you'd like to do a podcast or something like that and and maybe share some of your opinions or, or something along those lines. Hmm. Hmm. Um, 
Yeah, now I'm in another world where, you know, uh, I'm still remain a political agnostic in a lot of ways. I, right. I, I guess I wouldn't be um, comfortable doing that. I think I'm um, maybe it's old habits die hard. Uh, maybe it's because I kind of feel standing in the middle of the road. I can see both sides. Um, and uh, here's another thing about me. I hate confrontation. I despise the discord that I, I enjoy a good discussion, but I enjoy a civil discussion. And I, I, I couldn't put myself out there in a way that, you know, I think people would be surprised to see how all over the road I am in a lot of my opinions. Right. Um, and how accepting I am of people who wouldn't necessarily agree with me. And I think that comes from your news training because you get to see a lot of things that you don't normally see uh, that many people wouldn't normally get to see. Um, in terms of what you cover and the people you talk to, and you talk to people from all walks of life and all differing opinions. And, and I tend to be able to open my mind enough to see, eh, to say that, you know, that person is interesting and I like their opinion, but I also disagree with them on this. And um, so could I do a podcast? I could do a podcast. I think if it was fun and light and, um, and, and not pertaining to politics, I, I don't think I'd want to go there. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe I was just uh, trying to get you to, do a podcast because I think there's a ton of people in Rochester who who miss your voice and and oh, so nice. I, I I think uh, a podcast a fun and a light one listen that that sounds good to me let's do it uh, Doug let's talk a little bit about some of you and and you did this leading up to your your final days on Channel 13 and and I thought <sighs> that was very well done and by the way I learned okay. some things about you that I didn't even know. I didn't know that when you started at Channel 13, you were the sports director. Not, not when I started, but I became, I did do sports for three years. I, I started in news. I was a producer and a part-time reporter uh, first at Channel 8, uh, part-time reporter, then a producer. And then I came to Channel 13 on my third try. I think they turned me down twice. Big mistake on their part, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and then I came over to 13 and I anchored a show, a newscast called New Scope that was at 7 o'clock each evening. It took the place of the old PM magazine, which you probably don't remember. And then, um, uh, but I was also a reporter. I would work the night shift and, and report for the 11 o'clock news. That's all we had at the time. And then uh, became weekend anchor, news anchor. And then in 86... 1986, they decided they wanted to go in a different direction with sports, and Fred Calgill left the station, and and I I got the job, and I made the transition from news to sports, and it was tough for me. It was a different one. We were going up against Rich Funky at Channel 10, the longtime dean of Rochester sportscasters, who treated me very well, by the way, as a competitor. Very kind man. And um, and I did that for three years, from 86 to 89. So my first sports cast, I think it was the first night I was on the air doing sports, was the day Jim Kelly got off the plane from Houston, where he'd been playing in the USFL to sign with the Bills. And then one of my last assignments in sports was in 1989 for the U.S. Open at Oak Hill. And uh, in between, I got to go to the Sugar Bowl when Syracuse went to the Sugar Bowl and played Auburn. And I uh, went to the Final Four in New Orleans, where Syracuse uh, lost to Indiana on that Keith Smart shot. Uh, in 1987. So I got to cover a lot of cool things. And then they started the five o'clock news and they asked me to come back to news. And I had hired the only person I've ever hired was some guy named Mike Catalana, I think it uh -huh. is. And, uh, and uh, he took over, he'd been doing weekends and he took over and the rest is history. He's, he's where he should have been. 
and I'm probably back where I should have been. I don't think I was a failure at sports, and I and I probably could have stayed there and been happy. But I think Mike is vastly superior to to what I would have done or could have done if I'd stayed in sports. And uh, I think it all worked out great. I did the so I went there to do the five. I went back to news to do the five p.m. Shortly after that, joined by Ginny, who had uh, been at the station as a reporter, and uh, and then we were together for poof, that's up this is on 1990, 30. 33 years on the uh, on the on the evening news on the five o'clock news 80 30 32 and did did it make it a little easier for you because you got to go through the the goodbye with Ginny, so you kind of knew what was coming yes very perceptive of you wheels and i'm not surprised by that i i it was an emotional night when she left probably almost more emotional than when i did because she and I, you know, if you think about it, you know, my wife, Colleen, and I and Ginny and her husband, Jeff, we always joke that, you know, we were work husband and work wife. We we um, this is a poor phrasing of it. We had children together. Ginny <laughs> <Huh. laughs> and I, we didn't have each other's. I think yeah, about the same time our kids were being born. Yes. We uh, we we went through our aging parents, uh, parents aging process together. I lost my mom and dad in 2020 and Jenny just lost her mom uh, last week. Um, and and uh, and and so um, we've been through a lot of life's changes together, you know, raising right. our kids at the same time and all the school stuff and all that. So we were truly partners in not only getting the five o'clock news on the air every day, but also in, you know, just kind of being part of each other's lives and par- our lives paralleling each other. And um, so, so that was a tough one. When she left, it was like, that was a partnership that, you know, that been so long uh, and so important in my life. We're still friends. We still have been, you know, we've been comparing notes as I work at Alesco each day and she works at Canandaigua National Bank. And those two firms, companies actually have a kind of a, a working relationship in some some ways. So it's kind of funny that we're, we're still linked to each other in that way. But um, yeah, it did. Long answer to a short question. It helped that I probably went through hers first. So I was prepared for what was to come when uh, when I got to say goodbye. Yeah. It's it struck me as I as I was watching the goodbye and the, the Ginny actually interviewed your wife and your your children and it struck me and it, it didn't strike I mean it's something that I knew about you but um, your kids and I we've talked about Jeffrey and I've met Jeffrey and yeah. you've told the great story and me I don't don't think you told it on the podcast but I think when we went to the Sabres game. You told the story to us, and if you don't mind sharing it here, how you actually got uh, to become a season ticket holder to the Buffalo Sabres was because of Jeffrey, right? Yeah, it was one of his smoother moves. Um, So Jeffrey was now 32 years old. Um, He played hockey, and that's how I learned to love hockey. I, I was a passing fan, I think, before that, and he played hockey, and he taught me a lot about hockey. Uh, more than I knew already and, and to love the game. And so, so he would have been about be 12 years old or so. And he was like, dad, can we get Sabres season tickets? And I, I was giving him the classic father line. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And I think that year I was planning on, on buying a, a five pack or something like that for his birthday in November. And we'd go to five games and that would be that. Right. Well, I was away on a, uh, there's a, a volunteer group of men I know who every year go down to one of the poorest counties in, in the United States in Owsley County, Kentucky uh, from uh, a church in Pittsford. And they go down and they do um, repair work on homes for, for some pretty poor people in, in, in that part of the world. 
And so I finally agreed I was going to go on that trip. I'd been asked for years and I just couldn't make it work with my schedule. And I finally was going to go. Well, that same week, my wife had had some relatively minor surgery and I had her blessing to go. Her mother's a nurse. So, you know, she was well taken care of. And while I was there in this uh, in Owsley County, Kentucky, sleeping on the floor of a, a church there, I get a phone call from Jeffrey and he says, Dad, I got him. I said, what did you get? He goes, I got Sabre season tickets. <laughs> And I said, uh, did you win them in a contest? And what he had done is taken, I don't know if he was consciously doing this. Maybe he was. He was 12 years old. He went into my wife, who was uh, still um, sedated somewhat from the surgery she had, and asked his mother if it was okay to get Sabre season tickets. And she said, sure, that's great. Yeah, that would be fun. So he goes in. Uh, to my desk, I believe, and, and either called up or I don't know if you could, again, yeah, that year you could have gone online, whatever, and ordered us some really nice Sabre season tickets. And then he called me and told me. And half of me was the father who was angry that he had spent a fairly large amount of money without talking to me about it. And the other half of me was like, yeah, I got Sabre season tickets. Right. And we had them for, we had them for a lot of years. We had them till maybe 2016, um, when things got so, well, first of all, we'd moved from up closer to Rochester to Canandaigua. So the commute was a little tougher. Right. I was still doing mornings. So to go to a Sabres game and then get up at three in the morning or three 30 was tough. So we finally gave them up. We had split them with some friends of ours for a few years. And then we, we they, they got so bad. It just wasn't worth, you know, I wasn't going to any games. It was just uh, expense. I didn't want to have anymore, but for a lot of years, we had some really fun, especially those first four or five years when the Sabres were really good. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And it's all because my son took advantage of his mother and me and made the, uh, made a deal of a lifetime. And a boy, Jeffrey. And that's why, I, that's why I love Jeffrey. Uh, he still owes me for half of those tickets, by the way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> get on him about that. Would you please? Yeah, I, I won't see the money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of the Sabres really quick, they're doing really well this year, Doug. Aren't they fun other than that eight game losing streak? Um, I watched the game last night. We come back. We, it looked like another, you know, typical from the last decade or so Sabres collapse where mm -hmm. we had a lead and, and, uh, and then they end up in overtime against Washington. They blew the lead. They end up in overtime against Washington and they win it. And what a, I mean, you've seen it, I'm sure by now, the posts about the number three yes. and DeMar Hamlin. And, and so it was a hat trick for Thompson. It came three minutes into the overtime. I think it was the third of January. And, um, and it was his third hat trick and all that stuff. It was the, you know, the number three was kind of, you know, kind of the, the, the very least a, a coincidence, uh, maybe more than that. But um, yeah, they're fun to watch. I think they're just fun to watch. And they're a lot better, faster than I, I thought they'd be after the whole Eichel thing happened. I thought it would take four or five, six years before they even competitive again. But hey, they can make the playoffs. Paige Thompson is unbelievable. And and yeah. all those young players. It's interesting. Uh, first of all, uh, all our thoughts and our prayers go out to DeMar Hamlin and his family. And it's interesting to me, Doug, it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was when a big news story like that happens. And that was that's something that has captivated the whole country. But as a news uh, uh, person, uh, did you would your so, of course, you're worried about the person and all of that stuff. But would your blood start pumping because it's a it's a big story and we've got to get. What was that? What was covering stories like that? Big stories in Rochester. You know, I'm thinking of stories like uh, 
Kelly and Poulton, obviously, <clears throat> and stories like that that really grip the area, but also grip the the community as a whole, even in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. I it, yeah, big stories um, got your blood going. There's no doubt about it. There's a um, an adrenaline for that, um, and, and and that's not to say that you get excited when bad things happen to other people. That's it's not what bad I was, at all. That's what I was yeah. trying to get at. Yeah, I know you were. And, and I, you know, it's, you don't, but sometimes big stories, whether they're really good or really bad or something in between, they're just big stories and you want to cover them well and you want to be the first to learn things and know things and, and then do the best job at relaying those stories. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's different now. I, it's funny how much I don't, miss it uh i consume the new i mean it's only i've been gone a month so it's not that not that long out i right. I, I still have that um a uh, little bit of fomo syndrome fear of missing out checking your phone checking your things like that but i don't have access the day you leave channel 13 like any other company they cut off your access to that email so right. I, I can't i and maybe that's a good thing i i can't weigh in very easily you know i can still certainly email people there but i'm not seeing the back and forth as decisions are being made right and i think and i think two wheels that i was just I was just ready to um, step aside from that. I've got some former police officer friends of mine who say that, you know, leaving the job is that's one of the things you lose fairly quickly is that, you know, that need to know before everybody else does what's going mm. on or that inside track that you might have had before. Um, yes, uh, big stories. Are, I'm going to sit and watch and I'm going to say, oh, you know, they did a good job or they could have done this better or whatever, the same way I would have done if I was doing it. Right. Um but uh, yeah, it's just a, the big, I had 40 years of big stories. Rochester's has been and continues to be a, uh, a busy news town for better or worse. And so there was always something going on and um, I'm just doing something different now. And I'm one thing that's universal wheels. Um, it's okay to, it's very possible to love something and then leave it. And not miss it that much. Doesn't mean you don't still love it and you aren't glad you did it. But so many people I know who have left over the decades, left right. this world that I thought I could never leave, leave it and they find out, okay, hey, you know what? There's life after TV news. I, I mean, I could name a dozen people right now who've left and gone on to other things and they are glad they did it, uh, did it for years. And they're also glad they're not doing it anymore. Um, it's funny there's somebody, you know, the point was made. Somebody said, well, you're, you know, you're leaving. And it was a very nice, it was well-intended. It was just about you're leaving so early or so soon. Um, and part of the problem is they're comparing me to Don. Right. Who is, still, is still doing it, but um, you know, he's an anomaly and, and good for him. I mean, I'm, it's what a, how lucky are we that somebody's been in our town and loves it still and wants to do it every day. But um, you know, who would leave a job after 39, almost 40 years? Would anybody say, boy, you're leaving too soon. You know, it's just, uh, I had a great run. Jenny and I both had a great run and um, it was time. It was for me, it was time. I, I chuckled. It's interesting that you say that about Don because I chuckled as I was watching the last little uh, uh, segment that you and Don did together. And I mm -hmm. believe Don said, do you look to you and said, you're not supposed to be leaving before me. And, and I chuckled at that. Yeah. 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 And I, do, I don't think I anticipated I would for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, I expected I would stay probably at, at some point. I expected I would stay longer until I, I started thinking things through a little bit. Um, 
I didn't expect Don would stay as long as he did. Now, here's one thing I'd love to clear up, and I've taken every opportunity I can to do that. There are some people, people love to speculate. People, I like know to, where you're going, by pe- the way. Yeah, people like to weigh in whether they know anything or not. They assume things, and there were a whole bunch of people who said, well, you know, if Don had left earlier, you would have stayed. No, 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 that's not true. Don being there or not being there has zero to do with the decision Ginny and I made. We do seven and a half hours of news a day at Channel 13 now. There's plenty of work to go around. Don does a half hour of it. Don does the six. And so his had he retired, it only would have meant probably more work, <laughs> you know, and, right. and we wouldn't have had this legend working with us, which is a great luxury and a great privilege. Um, so, no, it had nothing to do with that. I think one of the toughest things Ginny and I had to do was tell him that we were leaving because I don't think he did expect it, but you know, the business had changed enough for us um, that it was getting harder. Um, like so many other businesses were challenged to find people and keep people um, people who used to start in Elmira and then work their way to Rochester and then maybe work their way to Pittsburgh say are now starting in Pittsburgh right out of college. They're skipping the smaller and medium sized markets to go right to big markets because you have a generation. This is one of my theories. You have a generation of people who didn't grow up watching TV news the way mm. I did. So I could watch Dick Bird and Don Elhard in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And I could say, I'd like to do that someday. That was the way so many people got their news. Just like you got the morning paper every day, you had the evening news. And, and, and you could aspire to that. Well, the generation that's starting in the business now, they didn't grow up necessarily watching TV news, at least not out of habit. They grew up with cell phones and tablets and, and getting news that they cared about delivered straight to their, their, the palm of their hand. So um, it, it's, it's changed the dynamic of who goes into the business and why. Now, we still have some great, great young people going into our business. There's sure. several reporters at, at 13 that are, you know, uh, 20 somethings who I think are going to have great careers because they have the same desire that I had when I was that age to do it and to try to do it well and to, to be of service as well as build a career that can be successful. Um, but it, they're fewer and farther between. And uh, that's a concern. And I think the industry as a whole needs to do something about that. I have some ideas about what the industry as a whole could do. I don't think they'll listen to me, but um, we what, need to start. What is one of them that you think the, uh, I'm just interested is, this is a little inside baseball, but since I'm sort oh. of there, sort of there as well, uh, what is one thing you think the industry could do? Again, I'm talking the industry as a whole. I'm not picking out a particular company. It's just right. it's just a trend. I think that um, we need to recognize, uh, for the sake of the world in general, how important the job of journalism is. Mm. Uh, it it is, uh, and and as it gets watered down. Uh, it, it, there's great peril in it for all of us, uh, consumers of news. Uh, I think one thing the industry could do is step aside from uh, pure profit motive. Uh, I'm not saying that's what everybody does, but there's a lot of that out there and start thinking we're doing something really important here and we need to uh, reward the people who do it for all their hard work, right. uh, for the important work they're doing. In other words, pay them more. Right. Um, uh, there's great disparity in TV newsrooms where you have people who've been there forever who are up here on the set, and then we're trying to bring in young people. Well, what has happened now is because we're producing news, not just for traditional TV newscasts, we're producing it for, uh, social media website, you know, more of a newspaper style, but online, right. um, 
that's as important becoming as important as anything we do in the traditional TV newscast because those alerts to your phone are now the way most more people get their news perhaps than than ever before and fewer people are waiting for the traditional newscast they might be streaming it whatever and so it's all about content and the traditional anchor like I was and Jenny was and Don is still important still the face of the franchise per se an important part of the picture but less important in relative terms than than it used to be uh, the content producers the young reporters who are now shooting their own stuff editing their own stuff writing their own stuff which we always did but then they're at the end of their day after they produce their tv pieces they're asked to write for the web don't forget to feed twitter don't forget to feed facebook don't forget to to do social media um that's a lot of work it's a lot of work and it's important work and uh it needs to be something that um is rewarded uh appropriately in my opinion and i couldn't agree with you more uh i will say this uh doug and i've told you this privately and i think when you did this story on me uh we even talked about it on there that um when you bring up local news the reason i wanted to do what I'm doing now and what I'm getting to do with Brother Weeze is because of folks like Don and you and Bill and Ginny, because you were in my uh, living room uh, for so many years. And um, what was it about Channel 13? I know you said there's been a lot of turnover and a lot of the young reporters that you said are very good and they are very young because I watch the news now and I think, wow, that, that young man looks like he's about 12. <laughs> um, but what was it about Channel 13 that was able to keep uh, you for so long and Don for so long and Ginny and even Bill was there for a long time and all those people that we got to know and we got to build a relationship with that in other uh, news stations in the area you didn't you didn't see as much there wasn't as much longevity uh, with yeah. their, their anchors it's hard to point to one thing. I mean, other stations obviously have been people been there a long time, relatively speaking, but yeah, 13 kind of, and, and one of the things that happened is we, we all got all those people that you're talking about. We, we got older, right? I mean, right. Um, uh, I'm 61 and Jenny's not quite there yet, but close. Uh, Donna smart man, and, Doug, smart <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, and, and Patrice Walsh and Jane flash and all these people that were there for a long time. Um, I think part of it was the tone that was set in part by Don um, in part of it was there were a lot of hometowners. So this is kind of simplistic, but if I was born in Elmira, I probably couldn't work in TV news my whole life and make a, a good living at it. It's a very right. small market. It's not going to pay right. very well. If I was born in New York city, I might never be able to crack into New York City television. It's the nation's number one TV market or number two, whatever. Um, but Rochester is that it's kind of like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It, it was just right. It was my hometown. It was big enough that, um, you know, I could make a, 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 a career that was uh, financially satisfactory, uh, not, you know, get rich quick or anything like that. But I was able to make a living and, and I was doing it in my hometown. So I didn't have a desire to... Uh, to, to go somewhere else to be closer to my family because my family, my parents, my siblings, for the most part, were, were all here. Uh, and now my grandkids are here. So I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I love it here. I still do. So um, I think that was part of it because you had Patrice who was here a long time. She was local. Ginny was here a long time. She was local. Don is still there, local. 
Uh, Glenn Johnson came up here for college and, and stayed for decades. Um, and uh, there's a million other examples. Uh, sure. Jim Redmond was a reporter for us for a long time. So I think it was a combination of all those things. I think it just was a, in many, it's not a perfect place to work, uh, but it was a good place to work. Uh, I think we did good work for a long time. And, and you know, it's funny, you talk about the, the people on the air now who look 12. Um, so did I when I started. Uh, uh, I might have looked 10. Um, and so, but, you know, I was around, there were other people then who right. were the established people and, and I got to join them over the years. And as you become trusted and, and uh, perhaps uh, you're just more familiar. Um, but how did we do it? I mean, it just, sometimes it's just the way things go that, you know, they fell into place. The other thing that allowed people to stay was the expansion of local news where there used to be just a six and 11 o'clock newscast. Right. Uh, we now do four hours in the morning, a half hour at noon, an hour at five, a half hour at six, an hour at 10 and a half hour at 11, seven and a half hours a day, Monday through Friday. So more opportunities to stay where you are. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, listen, you, you folks were the reason that I first got my first WKRP in Cincinnati, uh, <laughs> little DJ setup and, uh, uh, would pretend like I was running the United Cerebral Palsy Telethon and, yeah. and, and did all that kind of stuff. Doug, I, I want to talk to you in, in our, in our last little bit I've got with you here about 15 more minutes. Uh, what were some of your favorite stories, mm. uh, that you've done? Because you did a lot of, um, uh, people you should know, uh, you did a lot of, um, community type stories. So what were some of your favorite, uh, that you've done? Before I answer that question, I want to say something. You, you say you watched us go, you know, remember I was watching people growing up just like you were. And I too created a fake radio station in my bedroom as a kid yeah. and, and used to record the channel 13 newscasts and then rewrite the scripts. I still have a copy. I should have left, brought it up here and showed you. But um, so uh, your story and mine are, are very similar in that way. Uh, favorite stories. That's always a tough one to answer because um, I got to do an awful lot of fun stuff and important, I hope, stuff over, over those years. Uh, obviously, the story I did with you would be my favorite of all time. Uh, I did more two than, stories with you. I more did two than one, by the way. You. Do. That's right. Yeah. You were someone you should know. But also I did that story when you were in high school about the elevator and access and all that. I remember doing that. Uh, so many other stories. I mean, I, I did enjoy uh, the people stories. Um, they would be called. There's a guy who's on CBS now. He's very often on CBS Sunday morning named Steve Hartman, who does great features. Um, and one thing Steve Hartman and some other talented network caliber feature reporters do well as they, they tell stories in a way that builds in surprises that, um, that uh, tug, tug at your heart um, that reveal maybe something you didn't expect to have revealed in a story uh, that have a bit of humor and a bit of hope. And so those were the stories I, I liked the best. Um, one of them I, I got to repeat, I called it Doug's greatest hits in November. They, they let me run some of the old stories. And one of them was about a man in Henrietta whose wife had, uh, they were, they, they were, uh, he was a, uh, I think he worked at Kodak, but then he was in his retirement years was a school bus driver. And his wife, I think at age 50 got Alzheimer's early onset Alzheimer's. And one of the things they had always loved to do together was dance. They took ballroom dancing lessons. And so um, as she, her mental, her dementia, 
increased, they weren't able to dance anymore. And he, he stopped too. And he went and visited her every day at the, uh, the nursing home where she lived. And then one day, I think it was his daughter told him, you know, dad, you got to start dancing again. And he didn't want to dance with somebody else because he couldn't dance with his wife and the mother of his children. And then he finally was convinced to do it. And so he started dancing again. So I began the piece. Mark Schumann shot it. Great photographer. I work with a bunch of them. And they're more than 50% of the bargain, by the way. Mark shot this. I kicked it back. And this was Paul Jovene, not Mark Schumann. Paul Jovene shot this story. And, and, um, and he, uh, he captured it so well. And, um, and as the story goes on, you find out that she's still alive and he visits her and she's since passed since the story aired, but it was just such a touching story about, you know, he was still in love with this woman who kind of knew who he was and kind of didn't, but, um, he was able to find some joy in his life again, um, because he deserved it, right? He was a caretaker and it didn't mean he didn't love his wife anymore. Of course he did but he was able to do something he loved because he needed to do something for him. So that was one of the stories. That's just a, an example. Uh, some of the other stories, I mean, we did a lot of features. I got to do a lot of fun stuff, fly with the blue angels. Uh, we drove cross country. Uh, we I went to the, tell, I will tell you if you don't mind me jumping in here, but no, the, not one story, the one story I, I uh, maybe want you to touch on a little bit is when you uh, got to go uh, with Dr. Hugh and uh, to, uh, when oh, he did Dr. Quatella yeah. there, yep, and he did yep. the cleft palate surgeries. Talk a little bit about that story, and uh, mm. because I know talking to you privately, we've talked um, when we did the when we used to do the twelve hour show for Wheeze, What an impact that had on you. Mm. Yeah, uh, Dr. Quatella uh, founded the Hugs Foundation, and they take teams of volunteer medical professionals, doctors, anesthetists, anesthesiologists, I guess, uh, uh, nurse practitioners, nurses, uh, and others. Uh, they go, I think I'm, I'm on the HUGS board now, so I know a little bit more about it, a HUGS Foundation board. And they go to uh, Peru, uh, Vietnam, Ecuador, I think Peru's the new one, and then where I went, Guatemala. And we got to go for a week with them and, and watch how they work. They'll go in and do 70, 75 surgeries to repair cleft lips, cleft palates, and microtia in children. And microtia is a disease where the ear is deformed, and they create a new ear. So we got total access to that. Jenny Ryan said a similar thing about when she went to Haiti with a local charity, that that those are the kind of stories that um, – that uh, give you new perspective, that re- make you realize how lucky you are, that inspire you, that motivate you, whatever it is. And those are fun stories to, to do and to tell. You know, not only do I get to tell them, I get to experience them. Uh, but I also felt the same way when I got to cover stories, uh, maybe poverty in Rochester or people who've mm. been through huge challenges here. It's just instant perspective. And that's one of the greatest things about that job is that every day is different. Uh, you're learning from people. You might be learning from a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist, or you might be learning from someone who's uh, had a, just a much more difficult struggle than you ever had to. Uh, and they're all teachers for you, right? They're all way just reminders or messengers in your life that, that uh, you know, these people are doing wonderful things with their brains or these athletes are doing wonderful things with their bodies or these people are doing wonderful things by getting by every day and still doing good things for other people. Uh, those are the stories I like best. And, and, uh, and certainly going to Guatemala was one of those experiences. It's so interesting, Doug, because I think your, um, your story and my story are quite similar in how we came to 
to love this medium of uh, television and radio. But uh, doing this podcast, and this is uh, big for me because it's my own thing, and I get to do it on my own. And uh, not that you have your you have your own logo. I have my own logo. You have your own logo. I never. 40 years, never had a logo. I have my own Let's t-shirts see. too, Doug, and, and hats. And hats, I mean, yeah. And hats. Merch. You've got yeah, merch. merch. But, you know, it's it's one of these things, my favorite stories to do. You know, I love being able to interview all the people that I've gotten to interview that people know in the Rochester area because those are fun interviews. This is a fun interview. Really, it's just two friends talking, right, right. and other people get to listen in on our conversation. But I like telling the stories of someone that you have never heard of before. Someone mm-hmm. that I might come across on my TikTok feed of all places. Right. Sure. And 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 I've done that. And I've and I've come across the someone on TikTok and had them on. And and it's been one of the the it does give you a different perspective. If I can just add on to that, that yeah. some of these things that we see that we were talking about on the, the 24 hour news networks don't really matter because what really matters is the hardworking people that are working every day to make this place, this country just a better place for humans. There's a, there's an old saying in the news business that everybody has a story. Um, And, and, and that's very true that, that people who would be considered, you know, most of the world (laughs) is ordinary, right? right? Most of the, most of the world, uh, you know, most of the people in the world are not experiencing the tragedy that people in Ukraine are feeling or or the uh, the violence that we see in our city and others. Most of the people are somewhere in the middle of between great fortune and, and, and terrible luck. And um, but they all have stories to tell. Right. Uh, even if they're so-called ordinary people, there's something extraordinary about them. Right. Uh, I, you know, and, and I think that's that's one of the the things you're able to do by picking and choosing, you know, just people you want to talk to who might be considered ordinary. And, and uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm not trying to say I'm extraordinary because I'm on your podcast at all. I, I just think that there's everybody, everybody has a story. Right. I mean, I could walk down the street and start talking to somebody and you yeah. could find something interesting oh, about all them. The time. Even if they don't think it's interesting, you can find something, you can pull something out of them that is worthy of, being told. I did a story on, on a guy out in Batavia who was an expert at knots, K-N-O-T-S, knots. Yeah. And he, and he became kind of a, a friend who communicates through email every once in a while, but it was just so much fun. He was, you know, he just can tie all kinds of, of fancy knots. And I'm thinking, how does this person and jugglers and people who had collections of strange things and uh, just all kinds of, uh, I did a story on a woman who is a guide dog trainer for the blind, right? It just, there's this things that you would pass them in in the grocery store and you wouldn't think anything, you know, other than there's a a nice person going by, but then you find out they have some little story to tell. Maybe it's a sad one. Maybe it's something just interesting that they do, but uh, that's kind of fun. That was, you know, for all those years, those were the, the, the fun stories to tell. For sure. And uh, yeah, I just, Thank you so much for doing this, Doug. Uh, I know. Uh, you, well, one last question for you. Now that yeah, you have, now that I'm, you have a little bit extra, now that you have a little, maybe your schedule's a little different, right? Yeah, a little yeah. more normal. Yeah, a little yeah. bit normal. What What are you finding? What are you finding? Uh, 
more relaxing to do or fun, some fun stuff you're finding to do that maybe you weren't able to do while you were working all those crazy hours you were working over channel 13. Well, I mean, I'm, I haven't added anything to my, my, uh, uh, rotation yet, but I will. I, I said the one thing that's different is for the first time in a long time, I'm home at night. Um, or, you know, alternatively, I'm not getting up at three in the morning in the uh -huh. middle of the night. So I, I either did that or I either worked nights or early mornings and evenings for, you know, many, many years. Um, so that's nice. It's a more normal schedule. It's so funny. Colleen, my wife will say something, but can you do this thing on Wednesday? I'm like, I can't. And then I think, oh yeah, no, I, I can. Wednesday right. night I'm, I'm available. I can, I can do that. So that's nice. I, because I have a new job, I haven't fully adjusted yet because I'm really trying to get ingrained in, in all that I have to learn about uh, my new world. But, um, but it is nice to have kind of a normal schedule. If you think about it, uh, you know, Ginny Ryan raised two kids while working nights for all of their upbringing, their entire lives. You know, mom was working nights and if she got home for dinner, she had to make the most of her time, help with their homework, maybe do something with dinner and, right. and get back to work. And it's just a, it's a weird existence. It's a weird, you know, it's not a normal life. Right. right. Um, so this is, this is, I guess a little more normal. I'm just getting used to being normal again. I'm only a month into it. So. It'll, it'll get more normal as it goes along, my friend. And you'll, you'll uh, have a lot more time with those grandkids and, and uh, that's the best. I, aren't they the, I don't have, uh, I have nieces and I love them to death. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they're the kids in your, they're the kids in your life, whether they're your grandkids or your nieces or your friends, kids or whatever. A few of them are over my shoulder right there. Right. Let's say that shoulder. Uh, see the, the baby pictures are lined up, but yeah, that's a, it's a special thing when you have children in your life and it kind of makes you feel young. Hey, listen, an offer for you. Anytime you're hard up for a guest and you probably never will be, I'm always here. I have a normal life now. So just, you know, give listen, me I'm all, I'm always, uh, actually, this was something I was going to talk to you off the air, but I'll mention on there and then we could yeah. talk off the air for just a little bit. But if you ever have an idea for a guest, send it my way, would you please? Because sure. I've been, I've been doing this for, uh, two plus years now, and it's hard to believe that it's been that long, but it Congratulations. is, it is harder and harder on a, on a regular basis to, uh, when you do these weekly type shows to find, you know, people, because if they're not in your circle, you've got to reach out. And then if they don't know who you are, they might be a little skeptical to say, I'm going to go yeah. tell my story to somebody I don't even know. Well, you know, it's kind of what I'm up against now in my new world, right? I have to, to, to grow my network of people and, and, uh, and try to, you know, tell them what, what we do and, and how we might be able to help them in, in, in financial world. And um, you're right. It's, it's, it's banging on doors again. And uh, but yeah, I will have, I will be happy to refer people to you. I have some, some interesting friends. I have some really uninteresting friends too, but you could make them interesting if you had them on your podcast. We, we could definitely make them interesting. <laughs> we could definitely make them interesting. Thank you, my friend, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an, another episode of Wednesdays with wheels with my good friend, Doug Emblidge, who Thanks. unfortunately you can't see on the news anymore, but uh, we're going to have him back on the podcast just every now and then. Cause I might want to pick his brain about some stuff, talk sabers, talk whatever, and yeah. we'll have him back on the podcast. So thank you everybody for joining us. We'll see you next week with another great guest. Bye-bye. Thanks wheels. Thanks wheels.